You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about torticollis. Joining me are Meredith Cavro and Kristen Kuvel, who are both physical therapists at CHOP. I have a little bit of a scratchy voice today, so I am very lucky to have these experts do most of the talking and teaching, and I would love to welcome to the podcast Meredith and Kristen. Thank you so much for having us, Katie. Thank you, Katie, for having us. So let's start with a definition. We're talking about torticollis, which describes the tilting of a child's head to one side, which results when there's tightness in the sternoclinomastoid, or SCM, and the head tilts toward and rotates away from the tight side. Now, you both are co-authors of a new clinical pathway at CHOP on congenital muscular torticollis. Why was it important to create a pathway for this diagnosis? So the overall goal for this pathway was to ensure that primary care physicians were identifying the condition as early as possible so that we were getting referrals to physical therapy sooner or to the appropriate provider leading to earlier resolution of this condition. So based on the evidence, we know that the earlier that we see these children with congenital muscular torticollis, the quicker the resolution of their symptoms and the prevention of further sequelae such as asymmetrical gross motor skills, prevention of deformational plagiocephaly. And we know that if we see children less than one month of age, the average time for treatment is only about a month and a half. However, if we wait for treatment until after three months of age, the average time for that resolution of symptoms is almost seven months. So the highlight for this is to know that a timely referral for these patients will ensure that they're getting treatment sooner and then the resolution is happening earlier. Mm, So early diagnosis is important here. And I mentioned in the definition some of the physical findings that we'd be looking out for, but can you explain in a little more detail some of the common physical exam findings that suggest congenital muscular torticollis? Absolutely. So the most common presentation, like you said, would be tilting the head to one side coupled with a preference for cervical rotation to the opposite side of that. So we know that torticollis is named according to the side of the tilt. So if an infant tilts their head to the right, then this would be labeled as right torticollis. And in most cases, the tilt would be suggestive of shortening of the FCM or tightness of the FCM on the side of the tilt, along with lengthening or weakness of the musculature on the side opposite of the tilt. We can also see asymmetrical development of gross motor skills or a preference of doing things to one side, trunk shortening on the same side as the cervical tightness, asymmetrical head writing skills, developmental delays, and then deformational plagiocephaly as well. Now, you mentioned early diagnosis is important. At what age are these children usually presenting? 
And at what age then should we consider a child too old for a new presentation of something that is congenital? So typically speaking from a PT perspective, because this is congenital, we are seeing these children present with tightness or restrictions in their range of motion within the first month of life. That's why it's so critical for this to be screened early on. And if a child is six months of age or greater presenting with a new onset of torticollis, we really recommend that a more detailed history be taken. One of the things that we like to do is ask the caregiver if we can see some photos of the child prior to that six-month time frame to identify whether or not this truly is something that has been present since about the first month of life or a congenital condition, or if this is truly a new onset. If it is a new onset or greater than six months of age, this could be indicative of something a little bit more urgent and would require a referral to an appropriate provider. There are some different types of torticollis, and these may result from many different etiologies, things like intrauterine malposition or plagiocephaly. So can you talk a little bit about how we distinguish the different types and why that distinction is important? So congenital muscular torticollis, as Meredith said, is a condition that typically will develop prenatally and is evident in the first two to four weeks of life. Now, in some cases, cervical muscle tightness or postural preferences can be acquired over time. These cases are typically as a result of either postnatal positioning or presence of plagiocephaly. Our pathway tends to focus on the congenital muscular version of torticollis, which as physical therapists, we further stratify into three main types, and they include postural torticollis, muscular torticollis, and sternomastoid tumor torticollis. Postural torticollis is when there is only a postural preference, such as a head tilt with no muscular tightness or range of motion restrictions. Muscular torticollis is when there's presence of muscular tightness with range of motion restrictions. And then that last type, the sternomastoid tumor torticollis, is really the most severe type. And there's typically both range of motion restrictions as well as a mass or a nodule or a fibroid thickening that can be found within the sternocleidomastoid muscle. Now, when identifying torticollis, it is most important to identify whether the cause of the head tilt or rotational preference is truly congenital muscular versus a non-muscular ideology, as one in five cases are reported to be non-muscular. So this can be identified through presence or absence of abnormal findings. And some of these may include abnormalities in muscle tone, skeletal anomalies, abnormal facial features, age of presentation, and specifically that would be a late or sudden onset that would be concerning, and or abnormalities in oculomotor screening. And a non-muscular ideology may warrant imaging or referral to a specialist based on the child's clinical findings as our pathway defines. Now, sometimes it can be really tricky, and especially in those first couple months of life, because the child has very limited head control during that time. So it's hard to identify whether the postural preferences are due to torticollis or not. In these cases, our pathway suggests that the recommended course of action would be to monitor the cervical range of motion, provide patient education on a repositioning program at that time, and then to reevaluate the head and neck in one month. Also, there may need to be referral to an appropriate specialist based on findings and following imaging recommendations based on those findings as well. Now, if they return after one month and continue to have range of motion restrictions or postural preferences, then a referral to PT should also be initiated at that time. 
understanding those different types is really helpful. So thank you for explaining that. If we forget that, is this something that is teased apart in your pathway that we can reference? Yes, it is. Great. And so when we're thinking about these different types of torticollis, are there any other anomalies or physical exam findings that can be associated with torticollis that we should be looking out for when we suspect it? Yes, there certainly are. So one common condition that is associated with torticollis is hip dysplasia. The incidence of hip dysplasia in infants with congenital muscular torticollis is reported in the literature anywhere from 2.5 all the way up to 17%. Due to this, it is recommended that infants with congenital muscular torticollis receive a hip ultrasound between one to four months of age to rule out the possibility of hip dysplasia. Other associated findings may include plagiocephaly, and in fact, the incidence has been reported as high as 90% in infants with CMT and gastroesophageal reflux disease. Yeah, it's a really high number, right? Mm -hmm. Some additional exam findings may include asymmetrical use of the upper extremities. So you may see asymmetries when the child's reaching. As Meredith said before, trunk shortening, which typically occurs on the side ipsilateral to the cervical tightness. You may see impaired oculomotor tracking, specifically to the side that the infant has difficulty turning towards asymmetrical head writing, and developmental delays that can persist into early childhood, and they're specifically marked by asymmetries in the development of their motor skills. So you touched on this already, but I want to really drive home some of the management pearls. When we see a classic case of torticollis, congenital torticollis, what should our first steps in management be? Yeah, so again, because the evidence tells us that early referral to physical therapy is so important for management of this condition, we suggest referring as soon as possible. This allows us to initiate treatment and partner with the family to educate on the appropriate exercises and activities to work on with their child. And that includes how to facilitate positioning as well as symmetrical motor skill acquisition through play. Teaching those families how to be able to play with their child is so important for this condition. Here at CHOP, we have nine different locations in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey where we offer outpatient physical therapy services. And is there any guidance that we as primary care pediatricians can give parents on what they can do at home to help while they're waiting for their first PT appointment? Yes, Katie. So the parent is really the most important member of this treatment team when it comes to managing torticollis as they are the ones that are spending the greatest quality of time with the infant. Therefore, as therapists and as providers, we will educate the caregivers, making them feel comfortable and confident in not only performing the stretching, the strengthening exercises, but also teaching them how to incorporate repositioning into their daily routine and how to perform the appropriate play activities with their child. One of the biggest things that we can do is provide them with adequate information and education on the importance of tummy time. And as therapists, we work with parents to teach them how they can promote tummy time and improve the tolerance for a child. So such as modifying tummy time over a boppy pillow or maybe using a yoga ball to make this a little bit easier for a child. In addition, part of the pathway was we recently created YouTube videos that can be utilized by families to help them confidently perform these exercises that we are prescribing at home. And these can be found as a link on the pathway under patient education. 
That's great. I always get a lot of questions about tummy time and how much, when they should start, how long it should be. I always joke and say, this isn't boot camp. You know, we want this to be fun. <laughs> Babies should not be screaming through tummy time. But what are the actual guidelines that you give families about how much and when and how long? Yeah. So in general, we recommend a minimum of one cumulative hour per day. Now that sounds like a lot, I know. But with that <laughs> said, we don't expect that from day one. So it can be broken down into smaller increments, beginning with just a couple minutes, a few times a day during that first week of life. And then we encourage caregivers to gradually increase both the duration and the frequency to work up to that one hour goal over the first few months of life. Typically, our youngest infants will tolerate best on their caregiver's chest or across their lap, but there's many different ways to help encourage tummy time that we teach to families to help them and their child become more comfortable with the skill. We've created an educational handout that's available also in the patient education link on our pathway with different ways to encourage tummy time, including pictures and different tips to help caregivers incorporate safely and effectively. I love that you have all these resources on the pathway. That's great for providers, but also families. So thanks for putting those there for us. Now, how fast do we expect torticollis to improve with PT? And then when should we consider referrals for further evaluation if it's not improving? Yeah, so within the first four to six weeks of initiating physical therapy intervention and consistent compliance with the home exercise program, a child should show signs of improvement. If that is not the case, then that would certainly warrant referral for further workup, as that can be concerning for a non-muscular etiology. That's great. So I am so glad that you created this pathway because I've learned a lot from it. And I think this is something that we do see pretty commonly and we might not know all of the nuances. So I'm glad that there's a pathway that we can reference so that we have these resources and we have an evidence-based way to approach managing torticollis. So thank you for your work on that. We've learned a lot today, as I said. So what are your top three takeaways for primary care pediatricians? So Katie, I think it goes back to just early detection leading to an early referral to PT will ultimately lead to an early resolution of this condition. You know, it's a it's a common misconception that you may read or you may hear from various providers or even parents stating that torticollis will improve on its own. And while in some cases this may be true and we may see slight improvements, the long-standing sequelae that can evolve and develop as a result of the initial asymmetry can be extremely impactful on a child's motor development way into early childhood. So we really want to drive home the point that early detection, early referral leads to early resolution. Yeah. And Katie, if there is a case where a physician is unsure, it's better to refer to PT than to wait. So that way, then we can perform a detailed evaluation with our objective measures and be able to start providing recommendations to the family as opposed to waiting. So our top three takeaways are early detection, early referral, early resolution. I love it. Thank you so much for creating this pathway and for teaching us more about torticollis today. I appreciate the work you guys do in physical therapy. You are a great resource to our patients at CHOP, and we are lucky to have you with us. Thank you so much, Katie, for having us. We look forward to many, many years of referrals and working collaboratively with the pediatricians here at CHOP. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Katie. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And everyone, please look at the Torticollis Pathway in the Clinical Pathways page at chop.edu. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.